We started this little mini-series for a couple weeks called The Engaged Church. And you may wonder, well, what's the opposite of that? Well, the, the passive church. And who wants that, right? The Engaged Church, you know, people fully engaging God in their walk, understanding that God called us to a personal relationship with Him through Christ, that we have the power of the living God through the Holy Spirit in us, that we have one another, and, and we can choose to be like fully engaged and passionate about who God is. Sometimes that's not where we're at. And God loves us still, and nothing can separate us from his love. But today, it's to look more closely at this incredible picture that we're given in Scripture of a passionate body of believers. The first church. You know, when you get um, a really fun picture, like you get one on your phone, or you take a picture of something in nature or a great portrait, you want it to show, you want to show it to people, right? You like, kind of can't wait, and you want to blow it up on your phone and point things out and all that, and it just it becomes a thing. Like, you rally around, it and it's really cool, and it, you know, it's known as like a picture says a thousand words, right? It can speak volumes. It, just looking at a picture can speak volumes about an event or a landscape or a sunset. And talk about the power of God or the fun of a celebration or an event. Well, we're going to look at a very, very powerful picture today. It's the portrait of the first church, those first believers that walked following Christ together. God paints this amazing portrait. He describes what these first believers did and that's kind of what our focus is about because it helps us stay engaged when we kind of know the target. You know, where is God leading us as a people? That it's no different than that first church as we're worshiping and following Christ together in the 21st century. What is that supposed to look like? What did these people do, these, these new believers? What did they do together? Well, we're going to be looking at that and, and God's very descriptive portrait of his church as it first got started. <clears throat> Last week, we talked about the engagement, if you will, of Time, talent, and treasure. We specifically looked at financial stewardship. If you weren't here, really important message for believers to understand that they would have joy and freedom in their finances because many people get very frustrated, angry, intense, um, upset, fearful, and to rescue us from frustration and fear, God's given us biblical principles of financial stewardship. His money that he asks us to steward in a way that brings us peace and then his blessing and then impact. So, if you didn't hear that message last week, you can pick it up online. Uh, it's super important, and it's just part of this little series. And the timing of this, I think, is, you know, as we're growing and as new people are coming and as we kind of look at where the, the state of the church is, we thought this would be a good time to say, like, okay, so who are we and where are we headed and are we doing it together? Uh, we'll be um, having Mother's Day next weekend, and we have a message there, and then we'll finish up James after that. But just thought this would be crucial timing. So encourage you to grab your Bibles and open up to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to look with focus and intent on this portrait that God gives us of the first church. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. People repented and were baptized. I want to give you a little context even before we jump in. This is a message that Peter is giving after the church was given the Holy Spirit. So you might remember after Jesus was crucified before he was ascended. He rose from the dead. Before he went back to heaven to be at the right hand of the Father, he told the church, he told those disciples to wait, those that were in the upper room, to wait until the Holy Spirit was given the power to actually live the Word of God, to actually represent Christ well, to actually be the light as Christ was the light. He said, you have to wait for the power to do that. You cannot do that on your own, and I don't want you to. That's not my design. 
wait for the power to be given. The power was given as they waited in prayer. The Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. It filled the believers. There were physical signs of that happening. People were filled with the Spirit of God and knew they were walking with the Father after Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. They understood some of what God was up to, but not the whole story. And so Peter explained in this message before these verses that they were the ones that demanded that Christ be crucified or they were complicit in it, or they might not have understood it, but there was a provision through the crucifixion that they could be forgiven of sin, be saved, and come into Christ's kingdom. Remember, Jesus was always saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And when he went to the cross and was raised from the dead, it proved that he was God. All the miracles, raising people from the dead, walking on the water, healing the lame and the sick and the blind and all of that, all signs that he was who he said he was, God in flesh. Now they could be invited into his kingdom and walk in his family. But he said, wait till the power was given. The power was given. But now there was these questions. What was that when the Holy Spirit was poured out on people? What was that? Who, who is this God? And he answers their questions and the conviction they were feeling with these verses. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about... 3,000 souls. What a first day in the life of the church, huh? When they were convicted that they were a sinful people, that a person was in their sin, separated from a holy God who knew no sin, who does never tempt anyone to sin, that they were separated from God, going after their own lifestyle, self-consumed. Whether they be a Jew from a Jewish background who needed to understand that Jesus was the prophesied Messiah, that he fulfilled the law or whether they weren't a Jew they were a pagan or a Gentile or Roman that this offer of good news could save anybody that all they would need to do is what what are the two key words there they would need to repent and be baptized that it it's a very simple thing to come into the kingdom of God it's not complex it's something that can be understood by a child Jesus went to a cross to provide the bridge back to God the way back to God through his death and resurrection. Anyone can be forgiven. All they need to do is recognize they need to be forgiven. They have to humble themselves. You, if you know Christ. A day came when it all made sense to you and you humbled your heart before a holy God and said, I'm an unholy person, but I was created in your very likeness and you want me back in your family and you sent your son to prove it and Jesus did everything I needed in order to be back in relationship with you. So you put your faith in Christ, right? And you trusted his promises and who he is. And the Holy Spirit then is given, was given to you to fill your life, never to leave you, ever, and can't, because you're blood-bought as a son or a daughter of the King of Kings. And now you get to live with him and walk with him and look forward to the day when he promised he would return for you because you love him and all those that do. But that offer was made to everyone. And that offer was made to all those people that were hearing Peter give this sermon and the conviction from God came and they gave their hearts over to God in Christ and they realized, 
I can be saved. I don't have to live according to the crooked generation, you know, the evil that's around me. And other people that don't want anything to do with God. Well, I actually do want something to do with God. I actually believe this message. I, I did hear of Christ or heard his teachings or saw the miracles or saw him walk on water. I believe the apostles. I, I saw Lazarus walk out of the tomb. I, I believe, I want, I'm convicted, but I want this hope. And the simple answer to that was, yes, just pray and ask God to be forgiven. Humble yourself. Admit you're a sinner that needs a Savior. That's the gospel, you guys. That's Christianity. That's what the Bible teaches. If you've ever wondered, could, could it ever be boiled down to something so simple? Yes, there it is. Jesus came to save sinners. He was the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. Any person from any background, really at any age, that understands that Jesus came to take their unholiness and sin out of their life and give them a new heart and a new relationship with God. They've got it. That's Christianity. These people responded, and how many of them responded? A few dozen? A lot of dozens. Three thousands of worths of dozens. In one message, they gathered because the Holy Spirit was given. They were confused by what was going on. The building shook. There was this wind. Tongues of fire in people's heads. They didn't get it. The message came. They go, okay, we get it, but what do we do? Peter made it exceedingly simple. I mean, seriously, it's so simple. Well, repent of your sin. Turn to God. Be baptized. As people did that, can you imagine? There were busy and full fountains and pools and bodies of water all around Jerusalem that had human beings getting dunked in the name of the Lord. They were baptized, demonstrating that they were dead to themselves, and they were raised up in that water. They were cleansed by this gospel of Christ. It's a symbol. Baptism is a symbol of what happened in your heart, right? And they knew it. And they were new to all this. And they just, well, that's what he said. He walked with Jesus, and I saw and heard and experienced whatever level of that. He says, okay, so believe, repent, turn from your sin, turn to God, and be baptized. Okay. And they were born again. They were given this eternal hope, and the Holy Spirit was given to them. And they responded in obedience and were baptized. That first sign of genuine faith. It's a sign that your conversion is genuine. Now, these days, for whatever reasons, people come to Christ, but they think baptism is maybe an add-on later, or it's something when you're real mature, when, you know, you've memorized a bunch of scripture, when you can demonstrate to people, you know, you're kind of an all-in kind of Christian. Like, no, these were new believers. They just knew the next step to show God and show the people they wanted into God's family, and they were serious, was they just went and got baptized. It's a physical sign to them. They remember getting wet. They remember going under the water. They remember other people seeing it. They remember accountability. They remembered, I made a decision, and I remember my baptism. It was in that not-too-clean pool or fountain or whatever body of water they could find. They remember, but it was a decision for new baby Christians. Think about that. Baby, brand new, brand spanking new, you know, like they just are born again, literally, and they go, what do we do now? We get baptized. All right. Because they were all in. They understood this was life, death to life. This was the kingdom of darkness, my sin, my selfishness, my world, I'm God, blah, 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 to know he's God. Wow, I'm in trouble if he, this holy God, is, and he does have wrath, and 
But Jesus took my wrath. It's like, all right, I'm, I'll put it all on Jesus then. And now I'm free and forgiven? Yeah, be baptized? Sure. Somehow we get it too complicated and too complex. Somehow we let some fear of like, well, I don't want to get wet, or that would look weird, or like, what are people going to think? It's like, they just knew this was a life or death decision, and now I have life eternal. I have a new Savior. The Holy Spirit just came and chose to live in me. I am not my own. I am different. I have a new heart. I have been born again. I'm brand new in Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. They understood at least that much, just that little bit, just that little teeny bit, and they acted on it in obedience. They repented and were baptized. 3,000 in one day. There may be many of us sitting here today that would say, oh, I remember the day I asked Christ to forgive my sin and come into my life. I remember. I was with my aunt. I was in this youth ministry. I was sitting in church. I was taking this walk. I was in my car, heard a message. I remember. But I haven't been baptized yet. I just say, just flat out real simply, just like do it. Now, just next baptism is next month. Just it's next month. Why? Because you're just following Christ and his example and his command. And it's a sign that your faith is genuine. And that's awesome, and we celebrate that. So they repented. They turned from their waywardness to following God. They were baptized. And then they started committing themselves to some things, some very basic things. And what did they do? What's the rest of the portrait, the rest of the story? Well, we're given that in the next verses. Verse 42 says, they devoted themselves to some things. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What does devoted mean? Before we talk about what they devoted themselves to, what does actually devoted mean? Give me some words, some synonyms come to your mind when I say devoted. Committed? What? Faithful? Dedicated? Loyal? Sold out. Great. Here's a definition I looked up. Devoted means to be steadfastly attentive to. Kind of what we were just saying. Committed, devoted, dedicated, sold out. They prioritized. They pre-decided. They, they, they knew their life before, and now they were saying, now I'm following Christ, the one who just saved me and cleansed me from my sin, who now lives in my life through his spirit, and I know it. My heart is different. The burden's been taken of my guilt and shame. It's been removed. Like, and they started devoting themselves, committing themselves to some basic things. Now, we understand that word in our lives and in our culture, devoted. Some of us are incredibly devoted to our jobs. We are there on time. We would never consider being late. We would, we, we would work harder. We would work longer. We would, like, we're really committed. We, we do want to have integrity before the Lord and obviously to our boss, supervisor. We want to do the best job. We know it. It reflects Christ. Like we're devoted to our job. We're devoted to our spouses, to our kids, to our family. Super dedicated, super committed. We, we always want to be there when there's something important or a sacrifice to be given. Totally dedicated, totally devoted. Totally devoted to the gym four or five times a week or our hobby 17 times a week or, you know, a month, whatever. Like, we understand being devoted to things. It's just... What are those things? And do we leave God, Christ, and his kingdom out of the picture? Or are these the centerpiece, if you will, of the things we're devoted to? Do these give life to the other areas we're devoted to? Does this kind of devotion 
have priority in our life? Well, what were they devoted to? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, the teaching of God's word. So as those disciples, those first 12, experienced the teachings of Christ and remembered them and then passed those on, that was the focus of the churches they gathered, the apostles' teaching. Now, the, the, the teachings of Christ, because they had the Old Testament law, but Jesus then came and said, now I've fulfilled the law. I'm not putting a sign. It wasn't bad. I've actually come to fulfill it. It's now completed me because I'm the final sacrifice. The sacrificial system isn't needed anymore because the final, ultimate sacrifice that would take away the sin of the world and anyone's sin came and went to that cross and was raised up and accepted by God the Father. So Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament law and now the words of Christ about how to live. To love now that in the, the new commandment way, as he said. Loving sacrificially to the point of death another person. Loving God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Being committed and devoted to his word, which was about grace and forgiveness and mercy and compassion. And not just, well, I didn't murder the person, but also my mind was murdering him. And I need to say, Jesus, cleanse me of that. Not only did I not do this, but I also was thinking it. And so the, the Holy Spirit and the teachings of Christ go even deeper to cleanse even deeper so that we're true and have integrity from the inside out. So they focused on the teachings of Christ. And then Paul, as he's writing his letters to the different churches in the different cities, those would start to get circulated. So those were obviously inspired by God. And now we have the whole canon of Scripture, the completed word, now that we have the apostles' teaching and all that God has given us, Old Testament and New Testament. The question is not do we have God's word and what a privilege, because we do, in so many languages all around the world. But are we devoted to God's word? They were devoted. They came together to hear because they needed wisdom and direction. They wanted to hear truth. They knew the culture, the Roman Empire. That was not the source of truth. God and his word was the source of truth. They devoted themselves. Do we devote ourselves to the word of God? You come on a Sunday to hear the word of God. You go to a life group or a men's group or a women's study or whatever it is to study the word of God. You, you open the word of God in your daily life and hopefully daily to study and be under the teaching of God's word, right? They were devoted. They also hung out a lot. <laughs> they hung out a lot with each other. It's called fellowship in the temple or in the homes. Now, the temple was still standing at that point. They didn't go to the temple to take part in the sacrificial systems and go to the priest. Why? Because the ultimate priest has come. And in his name, we go to the Father, and I go directly. That's why we're told to pray in Jesus' name and through Jesus the sacrificial system wasn't needed. It was Jesus' sacrifice. But they used the temple because it was a great place to gather. Because for many of them that were Jews, former Jews, that were now completed or Messianic Jews or Christians, followers of Christ, it was a great place to gather in the outer courts. They could go there regularly and meet regularly. It was, a, it was kind of the center of life in Jerusalem for at least the Jews. And now Christians could actually use it for that purpose. But it wasn't limited now to the temple because where was the temple now? Where was the Holy Spirit resident now? Remember the curtain of the temple was torn in two when Christ was raised from the dead. Access to God the Father didn't have to go through the priesthood, through the sacrifices. It could go through the Son who was torn for us, right? So now where's the temple of God if we know in 70 AD it was burnt down? Like, where, where now? The human heart. 
human heart, you, you're the temple. God chose to have his spirit reside in you. So they brought the living stones of the temple together in homes. Even, yes, in the physical temple, just as a place where they could gather. And a great place, actually, to tell the other Jews that didn't yet know Christ as Messiah. That he actually was the one that completed all of those promises of the Old Testament, which they memorized and knew. Yes, and it's Jesus. He completes it all. But they were in each other's homes. They were breaking bread together. Like, open heart, open home. These guys were living it. Just like, sure, probably met in the temple, prayed together, talked, talked about Jesus, what was going on, the stir, the buzz about him being resurrected. Now the, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church, 3,000 of these believers all over. Like, there was a lot to talk about, a lot to take in. And you want to come over? We Like, come over to my house tonight. Like, yeah, like I got extra. We'll get it. We'll bring some more. <laughs> they were in each other's homes. They were in the temple courts, meeting in the marketplaces all over. Fellowship. They understood they were very different than those that did not believe in God and in Christ. They needed the support, the strengthening, the teaching of the word of God. They needed the love and grace so they could stay strong for Christ and tell others they're welcome to come too. They were devoted to God's word, to fellowship, to the Lord's table. You remember when Jesus the Last Supper with the disciples, he's inaugurating and explaining what, you know, the breaking of bread, communion as we call it, or the Lord's Supper. It was in the context of a meal. Before the meal, here's the bread, prayed, thanked the Lord. At the end of the meal, Jesus took the juice, right? And he said, this, do this in remembrance of me. As often as you eat and as often as you drink, you're remembering me. Remembering that he did what? He hadn't yet gone to the cross, but they remembered it after he went to the cross and was raised up. Oh, he said, do this in remembrance of me, and one day we'll do it with them in heaven. The next time I see you, we're going to do it in heaven together. There's going to be a great banquet coming. We're doing that there. The new heavens and the new earth, and we're gathered up in Christ. But until then, just as you eat your meal, bread, juice, remember me. We want to make it so ritualistic. We want to make it so formal. We think, oh, pastor should be there, or has to be there, or an elder, or something. No, these were common people, followers of Christ, whether they were, one of the apostles was there or not, didn't matter. They were in each other's homes. They just broke bread. They were sharing meals. And they remembered Christ in the midst of it. How wonderful is that? You're just hanging out with other people that love Jesus. And you just go like, man, God is so good. Let's just remember. I'm like, grab some bread, everybody. Jesus, thanks for giving your body. Grab some juice. Just, Lord, if you will, you're toasting the Lord. You're just saying, Lord... Because of you, I have life and forgiveness and grace, and we have this great friendship, all in the family of God together. You eat and you drink, and you're remembering the Lord. Paul even said, you know, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he had to correct, you know, they were getting together, but sometimes it went, kind of got crazy. People were eating before others gathered, or they were getting drunk. So there was correction there. It's not like this was the perfect church, perfect people. These were baby Christians. But think about the blessing of God that rested on them and think what they were devoted to. So they got together and they had these meals and they remembered the Lord with bread and juice and, and, and wine and just and invited his presence into their gatherings and were grateful. And they committed themselves to prayer. In fact, one of the descriptions of that is in Acts chapter 3 when Peter and John were going to the temple 
for a time of prayer. So somehow it was known that the Christians were gathering at three in the temple to pray, and, and they came to pray. Peter and John were on their way to pray at the time of prayer, set time of prayer, really interesting. It's kind of like our corporate time of prayer here in our church is Sunday at 5 o'clock. But anyway, they were heading to theirs at 3 o'clock. And on the way there, what happens? you remember from Acts 3? There was a healing. Huh. On the way to uh, what? On the way to? On the way to? One more time. <laughs> on the way to prayer. They were committed, devoted to praying, seeking God, wanting his blessing, you know, beseeching him to reach more people for Christ and their, their buddy at the market who doesn't yet know you, that Roman soldier, that Jew who doesn't think Jesus yet came as the Messiah, and yet he did. And they were burdened, and they prayed, and they lifted up the needs, and even there was persecution. Remember, Paul watched Stephen, the first martyr, killed for his faith. I mean, it, it was stressful. It was, there was persecution around them, and it grew worse. Those first 300 years had real strong persecution at different times under different emperors. But wow, they, they were praying. They, they were devoted to this. They didn't think someone else was going to pray. They didn't think, I, I, I'm not good enough to pray. They, I know God. I prayed once for Jesus to forgive my sin, come to my life, and I follow God. I'm qualified. I mean, that's, I think it was that simple. It's just like, well, of course, we're just going to go to pray. Peter and John, 3 o'clock, hey, this is when we're gathering to pray. Let's go pray. On the way there, this lame man is healed. They ask him for money, and they go, we don't have gold or silver. What we have in the name of Jesus, walk, be healed. The man stands up. Pretty amazing. They were devoted. One thing I want to remind you about, they were devoted to the teaching of God's word, to fellowship at the temple, in homes, probably in the marketplace all over, the Lord's table, eating meals together and praying together. These were baby Christians. Does that hit you like it hits me? Baby. They didn't understand much. They didn't have the full canon and written word of God yet. They had portions, a lot of the Old Testament, some of the new starting to come. They couldn't claim to be mature. They were new followers of Christ. And they understood as the Spirit was leading them, these are basic things we just commit ourselves. And they did. So the question for each of us, do we have similar commitments in our heart? Right? We say, that was the early church. That was the first church. Does that look like Cornerstone? Does that look like you and me? If not, let's keep working at it. Like, really? By the power of the Holy Spirit, let's get as close to modeling ourselves after this great portrait of that first church. Well, as they were devoted to these things, God blessed the church. His hand of blessing rested on this church. Acts 2.43, the rest of the story, the rest of the portrait. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who were believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. 
and is the final greatest mark of all. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The witness was strong. It was about Christ. They were living grace and provision and generosity one to another. It was so different than anything anyone had ever seen because it was the first church of the true followers of Christ. It had the marks of Jesus all over it. People couldn't help but see the difference. They were attracted to wanting, I want to belong to a family like that. I want to, I know in my heart, even I don't even get it, but I want to give like that and I want to receive like that. Well, you're welcome. Come on in. You got to come to Jesus because he'll cleanse you and take all the pain and guilt and confusion out of your life. He'll forgive you the sin. So come through him. He's the gate into the fold, right? He's the only way, truth, and life. Come through him. But yes, you're welcome. And people came consistently day by day. So whatever it was, 120 in the upper room as the Holy Spirit was poured out, or however many that was, and 3,000. So you're talking 3,120 or 3,000, whatever it is. But it, day by day, God was adding to it. He was giving his blessing to those commitments, to those decisions of devotion, to that people, his people. He blessed the church with awe. Do you see that word? When was the last time you were in awe of God? Maybe you walk outside and you see a sunset. You watch a baby being born. You get an answer to prayer. You see something in God's word and it's so much what you needed at the time, you can't believe it. You're in awe of God, his goodness, his power, his grace. You blow it majorly and he says, I forgive you. And you're in awe that a God could be so gracious, merciful, and compassionate to someone like you, someone like me. You're in awe. You can't even believe you can know this God as he describes himself and offers himself to you and invites you to know him. You're just in awe. His creation, his goodness, his answers, his teaching of you, whatever it is. They were in awe. Wonders and signs were happening by the apostles. Supernatural stuff. There was healing going on. There was the power and presence of God. There was hope. People were strong in the midst of persecution. That doesn't even make sense. People should be bailing. And they were true to Christ. There was, there were signs that God had taken over in people's lives. And he's strong. He's God in that person. Like there was awe. There were wonders. There were signs pointing to the fact that this people is a people of heaven on earth. There was something different. There was generosity would you agree with this, that normally human beings are selfish people? Would you agree? They're just basically selfish people. Until the Holy Spirit comes in. Now when you're selfish, there's a little conviction there. And when you're really wrapped up with yourself, you're going like, man, I've kind of been all to myself, thinking about self and my needs a lot. And you just have this conviction to be other-centered, to be Christ-focused, to be about the kingdom of love toward others as you're receiving it, this conduit or this this flow from God to you out to others and you're going like wow that's the generosity they experienced how many people had need in that early church according to this text how many people had need what's the number it's not a trick question how many people had need in this first church put your hands like this look through it with me <laughs> zero no one had need. Why is that? Because people that had extra 
they had homes, they had possessions, they would, bring the, they would sell those or bring those to the apostles, and the apostles distributed them to those that had need. No one had any need. They were taking care of each other. They were committed to each other. They had the spirit of Christ living in them, and Christ came as a servant and gave up the riches of heaven and became poor for them, for you, for me. I got all this. I don't need all this. What do you need? And they were just giving and sharing and all over the place. That's a book to be written. Oh, it was. <laughs> that people, they had something going on that was supernatural. They were not selfish. They were focused on other people's needs. They knew God would take care of theirs, and he did. And they had quite the reputation, and they were glad about it. We see that in these verses. They had glad hearts. They were joy-filled. They were praising God. Their mouths were full of the praise of God. That was the most exciting thing for them to talk about, I think. It kind of sounds like it. They were so happy, so full of joy, glad hearts, eating together, taking care of each other. In each other's homes, in the market, in the temple. Just like doing life together with people that love God. And then the impact on those that didn't yet know Christ happened. They had favor with others. Did you see that? Verse 47. They have favor with all people. Such a contagious, winsome, gracious way to live just as God designed it, actually makes people so curious and interested. They open their heart and their doors. I don't know what it means, means exactly that they had favor. Was that benefit in some way? Was that provision? Was that that they then opened their, they wanted to find one, so they opened up their hearts and they started pursuing God, but there was, a, there was favor that other people didn't reject them. Some persecuted them, and we know that the government at times, Roman government did, but there was this favor that God blessed them with as others witnessed their love. They'll know you're my disciple if you love one another. And they were. And then God adds to their number daily. People were being convicted. They saw the difference of how they could live. They looked at their life and saw how they were living. And they realized Jesus could make the change. And they understood, I get invited in. And it's that same choice for anyone today. Do you want in on what God is doing in this world and what he can do for you through Christ to forgive you and invite you into his family? And if you do, remember those first verses, all you do is you repent of your sin, ask Christ to forgive you and come into your life. And if your heart is to follow him in his ways, you're born again. You become a child of God and the Holy Spirit is given to you and lives in you. They were experiencing that, and the fruit of that kept going. And you know that it turned the Roman Empire, the known world, upside down. These little Christians, Christians, little Christians, followers of Christ, common people, many of them very poor, very common folk, but full of the power of the Holy Spirit, willing to sacrifice, giving this love supernaturally. It was making an impact for the glory of God. Okay, so who are we supposed to be? We're in the 21st century. We're not back in the first century. Most of you guys aren't fishermen or carpenters. You're not living in Jerusalem. You're living in Moorpark, Simi, T.O., Camarillo, wherever. What's he calling you? What's he calling me? What's he calling us to? He's calling us to model ourselves after this group of people that got a lot of it really, really right. <laughs> He's calling us to be as devoted as they were. He's calling us to dedicate, to pre-decide, to think it through, and then say, yeah, I'm, I'm in. Like, this is, this is clear. This is not hard to understand. 
But wow, I can't even imagine applying this kind of lifestyle. If you feel that way right now, you're hearing God speak to you. Because this is a wow. This is hard. This does require the power of the Holy Spirit. We do not pull this off on our own with clever ingenuity or good programs at the church. This is the power of the Holy Spirit living in you, calling you to live this way with other people that are in this church. And we just do those things. So wouldn't it make sense if that's what our membership was all about? What do you say? What do you think? Wouldn't that make total sense if we said, yeah, we're not going to really make anything up here, guys. <laughs> we're just going to do this. What we see in Scripture, well, that's what membership here at Cornerstone means. Part, we call it participating membership because it's not about sitting back and observing and spectating. It's about jumping in wholeheartedly. Well, but what kinds of things would we jump in wholeheartedly or devote ourselves to? Uh, just those things we just studied. We gave you a membership sheet that's like this. If you don't have one, um, throw your hand up. We'll run one to you right now. we got ushers at the ready. <laughs> They'll bring one to you quick. So throw your hand up if you don't have one because I'm not going to read through it, but I want you to have this so that you know all the scriptures that really this is based on, and it's chiefly coming out of Acts chapter 2, but there are other verses that support this whole concept as well, this membership in the local body of Christ. Some of you are members and you know it. Some of you aren't really sure if you're a member yet. You know how you clear that up? Try to remember, did you take a class, a membership class? Okay, and if you got followed up, then you, you probably became a member, but if you forgot, you just call Melissa. Like, I think we did that. <laughs> I remember we had to cancel because we were out of town that thing, but did we? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But if you don't remember, you call Melissa. But for everyone else, it's this is your membership class, if you would choose for it to be. This qualifies. Because what did I just do? I explained the scriptures behind this thing that we call participating membership. Some may say, well, I don't see membership in the Bible. Show me that word. Will you find that in the Bible? Membership? Yes or no? Will you find that word, membership, in the Bible? Some of you are like, yes, no, you're not sure if it's a true question. <laughs> so you are not going to answer it out loud, just in case. Okay, you won't find that word, membership, but you will find Christ is the head of the church, and you and I in Christ are all members. There it is. He's the head. You're a finger. You're a toe. You're an eyeball. You're the eyebrows. You're an elbow. You're a ligament. You're the right thigh muscle. That's the analogy that Christ is the head. You're all part of the body. You're an actual member of the body of Christ. When Paul wrote his letters, he wrote them to local bodies of believers in Colossae, in Thessalonica. So they were local gatherings. They were challenged and commanded by God to have elders, shepherds over that local gathering of sheep, Christians. And they had oversight as a good shepherd over those sheep under Jesus' shepherding. We see the one another's in scriptures all over the place. I don't know how many of them, 20-something or 30-something, serve one another, love one another, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens. That is like major connection. That is like so intimately knowledgeable of each other and also intimately loving and supporting one another. Encourage one another daily. Exhort one another daily. So it's all over scripture. We are called, if we come to Christ, we are called to become a member of the body of Christ, a member of his actual body with Christ as the head. We're called into local gatherings, local churches with biblical eldership, biblical leadership as described, and then those people have a choice if they're going to put themselves under the shepherding of those shepherds. That's biblical. 
Have fun reading about it in Scripture if you have it. This is what's described. They are qualified leadership. They should have these, the character of Christ. And more and more, not that they're perfect, but they do answer to a qualification of Scripture. First Timothy and Titus. The shepherds are given to local bodies of Christ, but then there are people that have to say, I recognize that this is a biblical body, that we're going to do these kind of things, and that you're the shepherds. And I want you to know, I would like to be a sheep in this fold. I'd like your shepherding. I need your shepherding. I need your teaching. I need your encouragement. I need your prayers. And we need yours. It's partnership, because remember, we're all different parts of the body. Different roles, sure. Leadership, sure. But we're all members, parts of the body. Christ is the head. So what does membership look like specifically? Participating membership, believe and be baptized. I think that was clear already. If you've believed in Christ and you haven't been baptized, the end of this month, it's time to jump in. We're going to celebrate you and your decision to be genuine and to be serious and devoted about your walk in Christ. Attending Sunday service, that's why you're here. It's important, prioritizing that regularly. Get connected somewhere in a life group, a Bible study, or ministry team. Help serve in our parking or with junior high ministry or jump in a men's or women's study or join a life group. Just some way to get connected with others in the church. Demonstrate Christ's love and grace as you go out into your relationships, obviously in your home, but in your neighborhood and in your workplace. All of us would say, well, duh to that. Like, we, well, yeah, but it's important to say, but that's who we are. That's our identity, so we should live that out. And when we don't, we should feel convicted to change. And we agree to that together, that we would find some place to serve. Christ didn't come to, serve, to be served, but to serve like him, we need to have some place in the church where we're serving. Some ministry we just call around. Just something. I mean, it's a spontaneous thing, you know, maybe once a month or weekly or whatever. It's just, that's my ministry. That's where I serve. I'm not the leader of it. I just show up. I just serve. It's just about somebody else. It's about them. It's about that ministry. It's about those kids. It's about people parking their cars. It's about giving someone a fresh donut. It's about going down to Fuente and helping, like, you know, we did this last week. And it's about some, I'm serving. I know there's something I'm doing that's not about what I get from the church. Praise God, we get a lot. It's about what I'm giving. Giving financially, that was last week's message. Please listen to it. If you haven't already, it will free you in the burden, intention, or frustration, and then to have the blessing of God as a biblical manager of his money. And then lastly, protecting the unity of the church by not gossiping and tearing it down, just going to people one-on-one. -on -one. If you need to get the leadership involved for, you know, situations that might be beyond you and that person, fine. But you don't gossip. You don't talk about that person's issue and stuff and blah, blah, blah with another person. Anyone ever does that with you? Just say, like, you know what? You need to go talk to them. Sounds like you're really upset or you got, got an issue. You should talk to them, not to me. Go, go talk to them. And if that doesn't work, then you can involve one of the leaders in the church. That's biblical. Anything else is gossip that will tear at the unity of the church. And God said, not allowed. Not allowed. Not in the church of God. It's not how we function. That's the way the world functions. That's not how my body functions. So I described that to you, and I described participating membership. You've just gone through a class. If you would like to join what God is doing in this church behind the vision and the leadership of the elders in this church, if you don't know who they are, Steve Doucette, John Wolfe, Mickey Rutland, and myself, under the shepherding, the biblical shepherding, and what you see described here, and you hear weekly from the pulpit, and you see in our ministries, if you're ready, you just say, I I'm in. You just go online. There's some things you can fill out online. 
on our website to become a member. It's literally that simple. Well, but, but when's the class? This was the class. And you can make that decision. And it's pretty awesome. It would be so cool if people this weekend felt like it finally became clear that God's asking me to participate and step up and step forward and to see God do new things in my life and new things in and through this church. How many of you have unsaved family members in your life? Raise your hand. How many people have unsaved neighbors that you know about in your life right now? Right, Literally right now, right next door, across the street. How many people have students in your classes, other students or that don't know Christ? Raise your hand. How many have friends that you know don't know Christ? Why are we in existence? To bring glory to God, to enjoy him forever, and to be powerful in our influence and impact to those that don't yet know Christ. Because we don't know how long we have until Christ returns. To be a winsome, contagious, supernatural body of Christ here locally through what we call Cornerstone for the glory of God. That's your desire, and that's the step you want to take. We are so excited to have you jump on board. If you haven't been around that long and you need to check us out longer and whatever, take the time you need. But boy, if you've been around for six months, nine months, 12 months, two years, five years, pray real hard. What's keeping you from being accountable and stepping forward into God's calling for you to be an active member, devoted devoted to the word of God, devoted to fellowship, devoted to breaking bread and being in each other's homes, devoted to prayer, giving of your first fruits financially. What's keeping you? And when you can identify that, then pray about that or talk to an elder, talk to another Christian, say, I'm kind of stumbling over this or I'm kind of wrestling with this or I don't know, I just didn't think I'd have to work this hard. Some people are there I, I, and I, that's okay. Just but be honest where you're at and just say, but I Sounds like it's a lot of work. Sounds like i got to like commit a lot. I gotta, well, it depends if you want to see the blessing of God overflow in your life and in the church. If we want to see the blessing of God, we do what's required as the people of God. And we will see it. And it will be something you will talk about now, and you will talk about to your children, and they'll experience it too. And you'll talk about to your children's children. We have the choice to receive the blessing of God if we would choose to dedicate ourselves and live this way. We can choose that. And every one of you before God today, can choose that. You don't have to talk to your spouse even. Because it's not about whether your spouse is agreeing with you or not. You can choose it. If you're an individual, you choose it. If you're, well, okay, we say like 18 for membership, age 18, but, you know, get involved in youth ministries. But once you're 18, it's like, this is my decision. I'm going to commit because I want to be a part of seeing God do something supernatural that I'll never, ever, ever experience any other way. This is the model I'm in. And I think I'm done. We're going to worship together. We're going to have an offering. It's a way for you to pour out your praise like they were doing. To pour out your thanksgiving. To put God first financially. But I encourage you, go online if you're not a member. After you've prayed about this, you've got it all in front of you again. Um, take that step. See what God will do. You know what I can't wait to do? And I pray this happens. I can't wait for next Sunday to tell you how many people actually did that. And wouldn't that be exciting? Can anyone be excited about that? Like if next week I said 50 people actually stepped into this with us, then you know if you're already in, you got 50 more brothers and sisters that are on board to the same glory of God as you are. Pretty exciting. Let's pray. Father, we want to be engaged. We don't want to be passive.
We want to be all about your glory and lifting up your name to others, not about our name and reputation stuff. We truly do want to be like this first church, Lord, that had your blessing rest on them with supernatural things happening and people coming to Christ all over the place. We want that, Lord. We've tasted of that, but we want the full meal. We want all of your blessing, Lord. And that requires all of me. Please, Lord, give me the courage to step in wholeheartedly. And may we, Lord, please you as members of your body, following wholeheartedly the head of the church, Jesus himself, being drawn more close to you and becoming more like you, having greater relationships and friendships than we ever thought would be possible on this earth. And Lord, be this really strong reflection, this bright reflection of who Jesus is to a needy world. Thank you, Lord. We know that's possible if we follow wholeheartedly your design for your church, and we want to. Receive our worship, Lord. It comes from a grateful heart.